Welcome to the Men Made For More podcast, a show designed by men for men looking to get strong, feel confident, and live a high-performing life. As men, we face many challenges as we try and strive for a better life. You want to live a meaningful and confident life, but you don't know where to start. You've lost your physical and mental edge that's keeping you from living out your full potential. You're tired of talking about doing big things, and you're ready to start living it. With the Men Made For More podcast, our goal is to teach you how to strengthen your body, your mind, and your purpose on your way to reaching your full potential. It's time to start living as the man you know you can be to help lift those up that matter the most in your life. Every week, we'll have a featured guest who will share valuable information and experience to give you actionable strategies you can apply to live as the man you were made to be. We'll draw on our guest's knowledge and experience. More importantly, we'll discuss how this applies to the common challenges and struggles of being a man in today's world. Our goal is to not only build strong men physically, but to help coach and develop strong friends, sons, brothers, fathers, business owners, and professionals in every area of your life. I'm your host, Dr. Dave Pachkowski, proud husband, business owner, physical therapist, and strength coach with a passion for helping other men strengthen their body, their mind, and their purpose. Wherever you're at on your journey, I'm excited to have you here with us today. Now let's dive in to today's episode of the Men Made For More podcast. Are you guys looking to finish 2020 strong and set yourself up for the best year you've ever had in 2021? Then guys, we got some exciting things going on at Men Made For More here. We launched our All Out Blitz six-week coaching program that's going on right now. And the time to sign up is by the end of the month here. So November 30th is the official last day to sign up. And we are going all out on the end of 2020 here. And we're bringing you guys group coaching to help you guys reach your health goals and your life goals and set yourself up for a massive 2021. And this is for action takers out there. This is a group of guys that are getting together to join up and to make sure that we're doing the right things now so that when 2021 comes around, we are ready to roll and we already have a full head of steam. So if you're trying to level up in different areas of your life, whether that be in relationships, in health, in finances, in business, personally, whatever it may be, this is the group that's going to help you get there. So we are going to be having bi-weekly group coaching calls. So one's going to be more educational in format and one is going to be more Q&A style. Uh, but the benefits of this really come from the community. We already got a bunch of guys signed up that are eager to make the most out of the remaining weeks for 2020 and a community of like mindsetted men that are ready to uh, kind of light a fire under their own lives and then in the lives of other people in the group. So the community is going to be powerful and guys, we're bringing high performance health coaching, the stuff that I usually only do for one-on-one clients, bringing it to the, the group here with a fully done for you exercise program, nutrition recommendations, and coaching on how to stay healthy during the holiday season and make sure that you're getting in your best health, the best shape you can come 2021. So it's a fully built out exercise program that we're going to be going through together. Uh, it's going to be a little fun competition in there too, for uh, just challenging yourselves, but it'll uh, be a workout program that you can do anywhere from home at any gym. And one that's going to help set yourself up for success through these holidays. There's also going to be a goal setting process that we're going to do come the end of 2020 here to make sure that you guys are crystal clear on what 2021 holds. And uh, it's actually going to be the exact same goal setting process that I take all my clients through one-on-one. We're going to go through this together and get clear on our goals and have some accountability to actually 
achieve those. At the end, uh, you guys are going to get a one-on-one coaching call with myself to kind of recap how the challenge went to see what next steps are needed to help make sure that you're getting some custom advice, some actionable advice to help make sure that whatever goals you have, that you're moving closer to achieving those come the new year. So guys, that's the exciting announcement we have. Already have a bunch of guys signed up and uh, officially closing this thing down for signups uh, Monday, November 30th. So make sure you guys get signed up before then. There's a link in the show notes here. If you guys want to see more details on it, it's all in there for you guys. So check that out. Would love to see you in the group. And I know the other guys in there would as well. So guys, wherever you're at, go take action on these last six weeks. If you guys are interested in in locking arms with some like-minded men, come join the community. We'd love to see you in there. Hey guys, welcome to today's guest episode of the Men Made For More podcast. Joined with special guest, Junior Hansen. And we are talking about all sorts of good wisdom and good nuggets coming your way today. Uh, we talk things on living a grateful life, on living a gracious life, on Junior's background as a, a firefighter, as an entrepreneur, with starting with only $46 in his bank account and uh, building up a successful company. We talk about raising a family, raising your kids in the right way. We get into overcoming fear barriers and investing and properly getting rid of debt and juniors turn around with that. And uh, guys, there's just a lot of good stuff in here. We cover a lot of things and a lot of relevant things for uh, for guys out there that are looking to maybe start small and build into a side hustle that eventually becomes a, a full-time, full-time thing uh, for fathers out there trying to properly raise their kids and have a, the right relationship uh, with their wife or their spouse. And uh, guys, so many other things in between as it relates to his experience, fitness background, his firefighting background, and his entrepreneur journey. So guys, some great things coming your way today. I'm excited for you guys to listen in and Let's dive right in. Let's get started. Junior, welcome to the Men Made For More podcast. I'm stoked to have you on here today, my man. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I'm kind of excited, like bouncing in my chair a little bit. I know. We're, we're giddy to get going. So let's get right into it. Uh, so to give listeners a little background on you, why don't you give your story kind of personally, professionally, where you're at and what you're up to right now? Sure. I'm from San Bernardino, California. Both my brothers were, were born there. And then we moved here when I was 10. And we had a little oops baby, my little sister. So I got 13 years stretch between her and I, and I've got two older brothers. And what I do for work is I, I'm a full-time firefighter. I've been doing that since I was 19 years old and I'm uh, 43 now. So I think I'm vested in that deal. Uh, I got plenty of stories if you want to hear them, but you probably don't want to hear too many of them. Uh, recently, I've jumped into the entrepreneur life and I started my first business with $46 and uh, built it up where it's it's done pretty well. I mean, I think it does really well. I run it out of my garage and I just got my first employee uh, a couple months ago. And I, I'm a terrible, I say I love people, but I'm terrible at business. So um, I feel like I pay him way too much, but I want him to take over the business for me so I can go do other stuff. So I told him, I said, hey, look, I'm going to pay you what I was going to pay you like six months from now, now. So you can be fully into it, which is maybe not a good business model, or maybe I'm a, I'm a genius. I don't, I don't know, but, um, I wanted him to buy in and really feel like an owner. So he could, he could take that and run with it. Um, and then the reason I wanted to get an employee was to take over my little home-based business was so I could do more real estate stuff. So I started dabbling in, in things. And when you're a firefighter, uh, my particular schedule here in the Midwest, we work 10 days a month. So I've got 20 days off a month to uh, game and play. And I, I do the best I can with it for sure. 
So I started that little business with 46 bucks and now I think I'm holding uh, just under $800,000 in assets uh, with wow. real estate and I got the other business. So I'm pretty jacked about that. I, I, that gets me going because it's really you're solving problems. And in any business, I don't care what you do. If you're not solving problems, you don't have customers. It's all just, you know, depending on how you look at it. I've got a little dog here. My wife's a teacher and she is so dedicated. Um, it's painful uh, how much she loves those kids. She just pours and pours and pours over them. And all the teachers out there that taught me everything I know, right? So now I've got one I'm living with. Yeah, funny how that comes full circle. But I love what you say about just business solving problems. And I think we can even ex expand that beyond business. It's, you know, if we're in relationships and you're trying to develop a relationship and you can, you know, take that same mindset in of, of being of service, being of problem solver, whatever you want to call it, that's, that can carry people a long way in that. What, uh, what was the switch from, when did you decide, so you got this full-time firefighting gig going on, was it just all the free time that you're like, Hey, I'm going to start to do something. Or were you always kind of the entrepreneur type or was that just something out of maybe boredom with so much time on your hands that you decided <laughs> to start it up? Definitely never bored. I'm always uh, exercising. I love to ride mountain bikes here. I know I'm in Kansas city, but we've got some really good trails. Actually. Uh, we don't have the mountains, but the trails are there for sure. To keep, to keep you active. I've always worked out, been a super active guy. I've always wanted my own thing, but I never knew how, cause my, there was nobody in my family or close relationships that were doing their own thing. They always work for somebody else. So that, that tends to be easy. And I heard something today from somebody, how we'll get up at a certain time and make it to work on a certain time every day for 10 years. But why won't we do it? Why won't we do that for ourselves? And I don't have a problem getting up and working for me. And I don't have a problem getting up and working for somebody else. So to answer your question, um, when I was firefighting, my wife and I, and she's a teacher, I'm a firefighter, so there's not a lot of cash flying around. Um, I had to figure out a better way. And I started working for a big box company, Best Buy at the time, and they were really pouring over the sales training, sales training, sales training. And then I started a business um, kind of off of that business because I learned how it worked. I'm like, wait a minute, they're just buying things here and selling them here. And there's people in between. And I kept wanting to do something, wanting to do something. I couldn't figure out what it was. And so since I was with electronics, I started renting out audio equipment because I noticed people were coming in and wanting to buy things and returning it, or they were wanting to buy things that they didn't really understand. They wanted to use it once, but they didn't want to own it. And I thought, wow, this is cool. So I started selling. Um, I was buying, I got the debt, I got the electronics thing figured out and I started buying stuff. And then before I bought it, um, I would do the math. I would buy it on a credit card. I would sell it on eBay or Amazon, or this place called Audiogon. It's a really high-end audio place. And so what I learned is I learned my hustle. So I learned how to buy with credit, use the credit, pay off the credit. And I never never once those years when I was doing that paid interest on any of those credit cards, which is what you do with real estate. You try to buy it low, you do your math before you make your purchase. Then you get a hold of the bank and the bank says, this is X, this is Y, um, and I get, am I gonna make profit and money? And then I go for it. So I took that little mini hustle, um, like. Gary Vendercheck says, go to go to garage sales and grocery store or whatever, and then flip it, right? Well, that's what I was doing. And I would, in the early days, I would go to the thrift shop. And I remember a couple of great buys. I found like this stack of Carhartt jeans. And I was like, what are these doing in here? And I, you look it up with your phone and you put them on and you sell them, sell them, sell them. And I was just churning and churning and churning. And now I've taken that and I've grown it, which it's took me a while, but now I can do it with a house. And then I do it with a house. I'm like, okay, that one, my first one was like, 32,000. The second one was 
50,000, bought it at an auction. The third one was 80,000. Um, the next one was actually less expensive, but it was worth more when I was finished. So what I'm trying to say is I just kept leveling up. And then I was talking to a, a real estate friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, well, if I just keep going up like this, and I keep learning and getting better, like, where am I going to stop? Like, okay, let's get that million dollar property because I'm not afraid of it anymore because I learned down low with the little things. And I learned that credit was a good thing if you know how to use it. Um, and the reason back in the day, which is a great story for everybody, is to get your money right. Because what was stopping me from doing anything and everything I wanted to do was my checking account. And now um, people talk about wealth and blah, blah, blah. I'm definitely not wealthy. But what I want and what I always say I want is I want options. I want the option to fly back to California whenever the heck I want. I want the option to go on vacation. I want the option to pick out whatever car I want to pick out because it's up to me. It's not up to, um, it's not up to the banker. It's not up to the guy that's selling it to me. Hey, what do you want your payment to be? No, buddy. I'm going to show up. And I'm going to pick the car I want to pick because I can instead of making it the bank's business. Now, the, the real estate, that's the bank's business. But because that's leverage, but with the cars and such, um, I think I'm that that point was a big shift in my life to answer your question was when my wife and I got on the same page with how much we're spending, where and why, then I took those lessons and I put it into that little business and I put it into the next little business and I just kept rolling it. And I keep running into these fear barriers. Um, when you get nervous about something, you're like, ooh, uh, that's a that's an $80,000 property. Well, in Kansas City, $80,000 prop $80, property is not a big deal you know, you go to, um, we keep talking about California, you go to California, that same property is 400,000 or more. So it's just your comfort level with that number. And then it just gets easier because it's really, it's really no different once you get that uh, different mentality where it's the, it's really God's money anyway. So what does it matter? Whether it's the bank's money, my money, or, or somebody else's. It took me years and I mean years of hard work to get to that point, but I think anybody can do it, especially for a guy like me to make those big changes. Yeah. It's cool to hear your story. And there's so many, so many good points wrapped in there too. If you talk about, I love when you talk about starting small and a lot of people, I think the, uh, you know, the resistance to doing a side hustle or resistance to, they have their full-time job going on, but there's resistance to starting something else because it's like they have this big vision, but they're not willing to do those little steps to lead up to that big vision. It's like, well, I, I want to be here, but there's no way I can be there because of time and money and, and, and you name it, but it sounds like for you is a lot of these small steps and then the gradually leveling up. And because of that, your mindset actually grew with it. Your bank account grew with it. All these other things grew with it versus trying to start all the way at the overwhelming big, big end goal. Is, is that, is that kind of something that was intentional for you or did that just, was that just sort of the next logical thing of those, that stair step approach? For sure. So the, another the number one shift was the money between my wife and I. The number two shift was I had always told myself when my first daughter was born that I would start a, a fund for her for college. Okay. And it was always that thing that I wanted to do that I never did. Now, how many of those do you have in your life, Dave? <laughs> maybe a few, maybe zero, hopefully. But I just kept telling my wife, oh, we're going to start it. Oh, we're going to start it. Right. And then her freshman year of high school, which in Kansas City, it's four years, depending on where you go. I went, uh-oh. My daughter's pretty smart and I believe that she is college bound and she's going to make it right. And, um, before that I was like, it, it, I, I haven't started anything when, I mean, I've done my little hustles, right. But it's, it's not enough. 
okay, for college. So then I went full tilt, focused, like wildly focused on this real estate thing. And then in four years, I looked up and when she was getting ready to start school and we're looking at schools and doing that whole thing, which is very stressful for the kids and for the adults, because the kids are trying to figure out who they want to be for the rest of your life. Like, hold on, uh, you'll figure it out. But I, I realize you expect yourself to figure this out today, but you won't. But anyway, back to the money. So I'm very proud of myself to say that the day she started college, I could have wrote a check for the entire four years of the school that she chose. Okay. Yeah. That's massive. Right. And I'm talking about just tuition. Uh, the, you know, all the rest of it is, I don't know if I could have wrote that check, but <laughs> I was proud to say that first year, no problem, go do what you want to do where you want to do it. But what I learned over those four years is the biggest lesson. My daughter watched me hustle. She watched me break through my fear barriers. We talked about it. Um, every chance I got, I would speak to her about these things. If she would listen, if she was in that kind of mood, right? Cause she's a teenage girl at the time. <laughs> um, we figured out a way to gamify college. You know, every listener needs to hear this because there's a Starbucks in every town. Starbucks is paying 100% of her tuition for working there. They're also giving her benefits. She's got stock benefits that we that we uh, immediately jumped into because I thought that was necessary. And she she listened and she's got she's got cash in the bank now. She's buying stock and she's uh, 18, 19 years old. And you know, on top of the stuff that those little things that you already had set up before that. But the point is I was trying to save for college, but what I was learning in the process was how to gamify my options. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and how to do it. So we're looking at schools. We flew to Colorado and said, Oh gosh, this is not a fit. She was not into the the community college that she was going to go to. And during that process, she's working at Sonic and like Sonic's not it. We got to figure out a way someone that's going to pay your way through college. Like what company do you want to work for? Well, we fell upon, I was talking to some guys at the fire station um, and honored him for telling me uh, what, you know, what about Starbucks? And so I looked into it and wow, I mean, hundred percent online school. And then in the middle of COVID, she's going to class. All her friends are freaking out because they don't know where they're going to live if the dorms are open and all this stuff. And she's got half a semester under her belt um, in the middle of all this crap happening. But the bottom line is I can, I can pay for her room and her board. Uh, we have many, many rules as far as the money goes. Um, another thing I'm very proud of my daughter, if anybody wants to do this, I highly recommend it. Make them pay for their first car. So back in the day, I taught her under no certain terms, am I going to pay for your vehicle? Because it's your freedom. And she learned that lesson. She paid for her, for her first vehicle with cash, um, you know, nervously standing there. I remember, hey, you want to negotiate a little bit on the price. You don't just want to give them what they're, what, what the offer is. And then bang, she saves 300 bucks in, in two sentences, right? That's why I like real estate because you can make those huge moves in such a short amount of time. And then she bought her second car with cash before she went to college. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm doing something right here because she's seeing what I'm, what I'm doing. And I brought her out to a couple of houses, had her paint some rooms and you know, do some yard work, nothing major, but I just wanted her to feel the reason I was doing all this was so I could pay for, for those four years of college instead of just going off and doing it and writing checks. I love that. And, and to be able to instill that in your kids, I'm sure some people listening are a little, a uh, little envious if they haven't, uh, if they haven't seen the same, the same thing, but how much of that is, was a lead by example, would you say, and how much of that was intentionality that you had of, of starting at a young age of, of saying those things, planting those seeds that, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be paying for your first car and doing those things. Were there any other kind of intentional type things you had implemented early on with them? 
Yeah, for sure. I've dropped those little seeds, if you will, um, for years because my father made me pay for my vehicle and my brothers too. So honor to my dad uh, for doing that for us because it taught us. And I honestly think that just that one lesson, the car lesson for my brothers and I is we had to figure things out ourselves instead of always going to daddy for checks and always going to mommy for, for problems. But I mean, I had a legitimate argument with my wife because my wife's father had always bought all of her vehicles. She would destroy and literally destroy a vehicle um, in an accident. And a few weeks later, daddy went to the dealership and wrote a check, which is fine. Honor to him, right? For being able to do that and wanting to do that for her. Cause that's how he honored her with gifts. And I, I'm not mad about it at all, but what I want my kids to do is I want them to feel that pain and that process going through because later in life, no one's going to write you checks for your problems. You know, you crash your car. Oh, well, now here's what the insurance is going to give you. Your $15,000 car, here's here's $8,000. Good luck with that. And it's just, for me, it's just, you got to figure life out because no, there are no golden tickets. Nobody's just going to give it to you. And sometimes those golden tickets don't work out. Yeah, such such a good lesson. And uh, I've heard you mention a couple of times too with fear barriers for, tell me a little more about that uh, kind of with maybe personally for yourself and then also with maybe your daughter or any other examples you have in terms of how you've learned that on your own and how you've uh, taught to maybe break through some of those fear barriers that you've come across. Yeah. So I love talking about my daughter. Let's keep doing that because uh, it's a good <laughs> lessons. Yep. So she had a massive fear barrier between leaving Sonic, which was her first, yeah, it was her first job and she loved the people right? She wasn't a big thing. And that's like, I'm the same way. She loved, she didn't want to lose those relationships that she had grown with the management and the, the regular customers. And I mean, she knew their orders and stuff like that because she was there that often. And I could see the fear in her. I mean, it took me months of, of dropping seeds and hints that look, Sonic isn't it. This is what college is going to cost. Let's get a year or two of it for free, maybe even three I don't know if the fourth year is going to work, you know, remotely. You don't, you'll, you'll actually go into something by then. Right. But if I can get two years or three years paid for, how fantastic is that? So to push her to see her fear and to acknowledge it, that's the hard part. Hey, it looks like you're really struggling with, with X. What's the deal? You know, tell me why. Well, that's how I learned it. She loved the people, but she didn't, didn't really like the job. Didn't want to smell like fries and stuff like that. And now when I talk to her on the phone, she says, uh, she loves coming home and showering because she gets that smell of coffee off of her. But she was just quarantined. She was tested positive for COVID. And she said, I woke up the other morning. She said, I just want to make drinks. I just want to make drinks for people. <laughs> so it's uh, it's funny you make that shift. And um, with the fire department specifically, you have to smash your fears that first year. And then the second year. And then the third year. Because when you run calls and it's always somebody's worst day. Uh, typically when they call you, it's, it's never like, Hey, you guys want to hang out and I'll try to sell you some t-shirts and some jeans. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's really a bad scenario typically. Um, and we have to help them immediately that day. So I have to break through my fears and I have to help the younger guys break through their fears of, you know, touching the blood or this is gross. I mean, there's a lot of poop and pee in firefighting. Everybody thinks it's house fires and kittens and, you know, ladies at the grocery store, which all that happens, but um, it's, it's a stinky job. It can be, I mean, people, what my, I mean, let's change the subject here for a second, but the saddest thing that I see in the fire department is when we go to an elderly person's home and they have been laying on the floor for more than a day, it, it kills me. It rips me up. And I don't know how to solve that problem. I know first alert and, and those kind of things that people can do or cell phone, but 
it's it's horrendous to see like where there's got to be a better way maybe there is maybe there isn't people also need to help themselves they need to realize that you know maybe today is i've had enough and i need to go live with somebody else or make a change but not everybody has the financials or the desire to go live in a community when they've lived by themselves forever but it just rips me apart when i see that and so it's hard to deal with you know you leave and you're thinking what where are they tonight you know where what's going to happen to them tomorrow and you're not allowed just to go back to the house and knock on the door and see how they're doing um, I guess you could, but um, I think that would be frowned upon if we were just stopping by people's places to, to see how they were. And there's other services for stuff like that because we can't be everywhere all the time. Um, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but that's heavy on my heart. Were, the, were those things that you were aware of you were getting into when you started with, with firefighting? Or is that was that kind of like what was the first time where you experienced that? And, and what was that like? The, the part you're talking about of, of coming in to someone who's been on the floor for a day, the, someone who's you know that that side of the job that – because I don't think many people get into firefighting expecting that. I'm sure that that happened at at some point when you're already into that path of firefighting, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, typically you're thinking about car fires and wrecks because that's the stuff you study in class. It's all about the, the chemicals now that are burning and how to deal with them and how fire is raging and how to get the water. Like, simplify it. Let's get the wet stuff on the red stuff. You know, keep it simple. But then you've got the smoke to deal with. You've got – imagine um, – I'll try to put this in perspective for you or somebody that's listening. If you were to get in your car, fly down the street, run up to the front door, try to break through the door to get in because the roof's on fire. And then I want you to close your eyes in a house you've never been in before. And you have on, you know, 30 pounds of gear, 35 pounds of gear. It's not 60 or 80 like everybody says it is. And close your eyes completely. So you can't see a single thing. You've got tools in your hands. You've got big thick gloves on. You can't really feel much other than of the general design of what you're holding. And then go try to find a person in that house. How difficult would that be? It's really hard. Um, and mentally you have to be prepared. You have to be ready. You have to be calm. You have to make your moves. You have to pivot, adjust constantly. Uh, you know, where's the couch? Where's the front door? Where's the back door? Does this have a basement? Uh, you know, where's the stairs? Does the house even have stairs? Well, you better pay attention when you're walking up to the front door, what the layout is, where's the kitchen, where's the bathroom. So that's just a simple analogy. Um, when you go blind like that, you're going to rely on your brain and your senses. They heighten and you got to do your thing, which is I'm not trying to pump myself up because that happens rarely. So we do 80% medical calls and 20% firefighting. So when you're getting into it, it's all about that 20%, those cool car wrecks. Like, well, initially, yeah, those car wrecks were really cool because these two really nice cars are all smashed. And, you know, one of them's got a 30-day tag on it. <laughs> and that's just that's just life. That's how it goes. I mean, accidents happen. But then there's two souls. There's two people that were in that car, maybe three, maybe four people were in that car. And it's their worst day. They didn't – here's another thing about seatbelts. I've never been to a wreck where somebody – had their seatbelt on and said, Hey man, high five. I knew I was going to be in an accident today. I appreciate that. appreciate that, that I put on my seatbelt today. They are, they got blood coming off their face and they're, I can't believe this happened to me. I can't believe this happened to me. Every single car accident. I can't believe this happened to me. How did it happen? I don't know. I was looking at my phone. I don't know. I was just going through the red light. It's an accident. It, I mean, more people die in car accidents than a lot of other things. And I, People talk about the numbers on this and the numbers on that and get really picky on things. And I'm like, well, what about car wrecks? 
you know, I'm guilty of texting and driving, so I'm not going to preach on anything I don't um, can't do perfectly. But you mentioned the like that you mentioned with relationships when when you come to a scene like that, whether it's whatever you're getting called to, like you said, you mentioned a couple of times, it's it's someone's worst day. It's not like they're they're calling you guys to to hang out. And again, it's it sounds like you have some some more empathy around that than other people might. Were you always that way from from the time you started, or do you see? And I don't want to single out younger, the younger people in the, in the field, but do you see people that are more just there for the, the fire side of it? And how do you develop that empathy to be like, Hey guys, when we, when we get there, like these are people we're dealing with, these are, you know, actual relationships that we have to develop and, and address those things. Is there ways you're, you're fostering that, or, um, I guess, increasing awareness with maybe other people that don't see it that way. So we mostly we mostly joke about it because we have to. Uh, it's not actually funny at all, but we have to come up with a coping mechanism because otherwise it will tear you apart because you're going from one call to the next call to the next call to the next call. By the end of the day, you're emotionally spent if you're letting it affect you. And I feel like the people that, that should get all the honor are the people that work on oncology and the people that work at uh, children's hospitals. I couldn't work in a children's hospital for for two days, I'd be a freaking mess. Look at these little babies. Look at these kids. Look at their parents. I mean, that's a place you just want to go and just hug people. And, you know, hopefully it's going to be okay. And if you think that the part that it's given me mostly to hopefully answer your question directly, it's given me so much perspective on what's important and what's not. Because if you're not learning from these accidents to wear your seatbelt, you're a moron. And if you're not learning that people's lives matters and that that your life is precious, then you're missing the boat because it's gone. It's, I mean, in a flash, people talk about that in a flash, but I'm saying it here. I've seen it. You know, I've held those people. I've been on the floor in the living room and we're doing everything we can with every piece of equipment we could ever possibly buy uh, and apply to this person. And it's just not working. And the family is standing there and, you know, sometimes they're praying, sometimes they're screaming, sometimes they're mad. I fully understand all those emotions that they're going through and we're in their house and we're trying to, you know, pump on somebody's chest. It's ugly. It's not pretty. Um, You know, it's just, but at the same time, it is what it is. It's people helping people. So we're doing our best with the tools we have to assist with the situation that's arisen. So I can't take it personally that, that grandma is 90 years old and she doesn't have control of her knees and her back very well. So she slips and falls once in a while. So I can't take that personally, but I can give her a lot of grace when we get there and, and do what we can do. But you also realize that, that you can't be everywhere. And at any time, anywhere across the country or in the world, there's people laying on the floor in their own pee and poop and they've been there a while and that's gross. And I don't want to see, you know, the burnt skin and stuff like that from the urine. It's just, a sad, sad deal. So if you've got older folks, you got to check on them. Uh, you got to get them that life alert, even if it's a couple bucks a month. Those life alerts—they they literally save lives every day. People use that term a lot, but just to get that notification, to get somebody on the way to help, and it doesn't have to be the fire department; it could be the police. The police do a fantastic job as well. Those guys put themselves in my in harm's way for me all the time. You know, there's houses they send us to. People are screaming on 911. They get there and they clear it for us. And I honor those men for, for what they do and their badge because they're not getting a lot of a lot of love right now. But it surprises me to what level 
that that guy with the badge would do for somebody to help them. And I feel like that's what they do. They get up every morning just to try to do that, to help others. And I don't want to get off on that tangent. But I I just did. Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) How do you you keep from bringing that that stuff home with you that, cause it, it's, it's heavy stuff. It's a lot of, I know you mentioned putting it in perspective of, of kind of like joking it off, but what, uh, do you have anything else to not like bring that home to, to family after you've had a, a tough day, you've seen some of these tough things to still come in and want to show up and be present and be there for your family without being distracted by the, the things at work. And cause you, you see it, I mean, you see it in a, kind of a heavy degree, but everyone to some degree has some emotional baggage they're bringing with them when they come home. And if they're letting that affect their family life, we know the consequences that can have. So how are you kind of separating those, those things for, for you and your family? Well, that's changed over the years for sure. When I was younger, I used to boast and brag about all the things I had done the night before. Of course, that's over beers with other college buddies. Right. And I don't know when it happened, but I, I made a shift and I just stopped. I had to stop telling my wife about it. And definitely my youngest daughter, she started listening and kind of hearing what I was saying. And she wanted to fix the problem. And I fully understand, well, dad, what, why didn't you help that lady? Um, I don't know her address. I don't know where she's at. I'm at the fire station. She's got to call 911 in order for somebody to go help her up off the floor. And I can't be everywhere. And you can't be everywhere that you need to be all day, every day. And some days you're on duty and some you're not. So to answer your question, once she started and my wife would, would try to give me suggestions on how to, how to fix things or help things like that happened yesterday. There's nothing I can do about it. So now they know um, that we just don't talk about it at all. Um, And I'm fine with it. I can handle that. Uh, I don't need to share it. Um, I used to love taking pictures of the wrecks and uh, stuff like that, but it just doesn't, I don't know how to explain it. It doesn't do it for me anymore. I like going and helping the people, but once you've done it for a few years, um, you don't need to boast or brag or, or tell stories because I'm sure tonight in your town, Dave, you can turn on the TV and they'll talk about who got shot and some other things and you will feel zero for it, which is terrible because if you were there or if it's somebody you knew, then it would resonate and it'd be heavy. But since it's on the news and we're, we're so desensitized to it, right? Which is what I'm, I guess is what I'm saying. As you get desensitized to it, you try to make light of things and just get through it any way you know how. Otherwise, um, you know, you end up on a substance or some other thing or you get divorced and you think it's everybody else's fault or problem, but you can't deal with your own mess. So to answer your question is you got to look internally and you got to deal with your mess before you can deal with anybody else's. That's great. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because it's that is a real thing that if you're not doing a good job separating that or handling it, then it relates to those substance abuse issues or uh, ends up leading to relationship issues and those things. What, uh, any other systems or things you have in place that keep you, keep you accountable in that, keep making sure that you're focusing on the things that, that matter the most when you mention things like perspective and how precious life is, what, you know, what things are you currently doing? What kind of habits, routines, systems do you have in place to make sure that you're focusing on what matters the most in in your life? I think my big release is exercise and it always has been. Uh, I used to, and maybe I can get back to this after today, but uh, I used to always shut off my phone because it was my time. Uh, But now the phones are so good. It's like, I don't want to put away my phone. I got my music on my phone, so I can't 
So you have to make that line, that adjustment, say, look, this is my hour. This is my hour and a half that the only thing that comes out of my phone is the music. Everybody else can wait an hour and a half unless I'm, of course, at the fire station, which is another reason why the fire department's so fantastic. Where in the world, and I'm sure someone's going to find it for me, when you show up, they give you sweatpants, sweatshirts, shorts to work out in, a pillow, some really cool gear, and a giant fire red fire truck to drive um, on your first day. That's that's pretty awesome. I mean, I'm a, I'm a grown-up kid when it comes to that stuff. And one of my big favorite things is when the kids, this doesn't, hasn't happened in COVID in quite a while. It's kind of killing me, but when the kids show up and they're no bigger than the tires and they're looking up at this thing, just going, wow, wow, wow. And the moms are taking all kinds of crazy pictures of the kids. And you know, that's going to be, you know, a, a big memory for them and, and stuff like that. I think I got off on your question, but I wanted to share that little. So I focus on the positive and that is my focus. Um, so a Zig Ziglar line is when you're driving your car, you go to go lights. You don't go to stop lights. Well, it's 50-50 there, right? Minus the yellow light. So I like to go to go lights. And people get all gruff and they set to sit there and wait. It's like, I'm, I'm just waiting for my turn to go. I don't have to stop, right? I could drive around and cause an accident. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, the other thing I did when I was starting out with this journey of mine was a gratitude journal. It was just such a simple thing. You need well, literally nothing. I mean, you could use your phone and you could type it out or you can get a piece of paper. Um, but that, I feel like that only works for a certain amount of time because you're going to run out of things to be grateful for. Like I was writing down this pen and this table and stuff like that because I had done it for, for a couple of months and I had made a point to write down three things I was grateful for. And that's really where it started because I didn't realize wildly lucky we are to be where we're at, to be in the, in the city that I'm at with the family that I have and the health that I have. And Dave, it's the same thing for you. So you can be grateful for just about anything. And uh, I learned in a book, I think it was a Dale Carnegie book about what it takes to prepare a meal. And if you go tonight, you lay out your plate, hopefully you're not thinking about this before you do it. But if you lay, if you're go to a restaurant or if your wife or somebody, a friend serves you a meal, look down at the plate and look at the meal. Where'd the plate come from? I don't know how to make plates. How about you? I don't know how to forge silverware. I'm grateful for that silverware. This this orange might have came from California, but the avocado came from Texas, and the the rice came from from China. And there's some you know some sauces from Thailand. So if I had to make this meal on this table with this silverware on this plate, how long would it take me? Are you going to fly to Thailand and then to Texas and then to California? Fly, hell, walk. I don't know how to make a plane. Uh, do you know how to make a car? I mean, I can get the parts, but you got to have the time and the effort and the money to put all these things together, right? So how grateful can you be for that plate of food with that's just before you with your knife and fork? And that little exercise just blew me away. And when you try to explain it to somebody else that's not in the same you know, positivity or, or grateful mode, they're like, you're nuts, man. It's just lunch. But it's not just lunch. It's it's the time and effort that it takes to get something done is amazing. So you walk by a house and you think, wow, look at all the paint and the and the shingles and the gutters. You got aluminum, plastic, glass, you got light bulbs and power and all these things that are going together. And you don't think about any of it. Never. Like the technology that we're using right now, are you kidding me? The the stuff, I mean, this headset and craziness. I, I, again, if you, if you live in a grateful, a grateful life, you're, I think I was just searching for happiness because I couldn't figure out where to get that happiness from. 
And that's, that's something I still struggle with. I just want to be happy and have options. Right. And of course I want my kids and family and all that. That's, it's a daily thing. It's, I'm looking for that light switch and there just isn't one. It's a process and I'm starting to enjoy the process rather than looking for that end game because there is no end game. You talk to these old folks and they got a lot of things figured out. They're just like, whatever, right? It's, it's whatever. I don't care anymore. Or they're super grouchy or they're super happy. So that's their life um, that has led them to where they are today. But even those people that are, that are grouchy and 70 years old, they could start a gratitude journal and realize how much that they have instead of focusing on how much they don't have because which list is bigger Well, what they don't have. That's way bigger. So why don't I just focus on the things I've got and the options to get the things I want? Yeah. That's so, so that's, good. That's, that's a good way to describe how I think. Yeah. That's a, you know, I love what you're saying about what we don't have, what we do have. And you know, that a shift in perspective can bring much more awareness around what we do have. Cause it's usually much more, if you're thinking about things, the way that you're describing it, there's a ton that we have to be grateful for. And, and I also love that you go and talking about process over the outcome too. Cause even with something as simple as a gratitude practice, people want to be, they want the end result of it right away. They want, they start a gratitude journal because like you said, you're looking for, for happiness, but people don't realize that that's not a, it's not a destination. It's not just like, Oh, I started this. And then I achieved this. It's who you become in the process of this gratitude journal or whatever you're talking about is just as important as just reaching that end goal. It's not, like you said, not a, not a light switch. How long did it take for you to, to notice that shift in from starting gratitude journal to being more aware of those things that you did? Was this a pretty, uh, a pretty immediate thing for you or did it take some time and consistency with it? Definitely time and consistency. I was broke as a joke, man. The first, the first five or six books I bought on real estate and I would call it self-help, which is a, was a, it was a, a, like, I would walk into the library, like, Oh, someone's going to see me. I'm looking for a self-help book because yesterday I was on a fire truck going through stoplights and, you know, hopefully rescuing somebody, which, you know, rarely happens, but it does happen. Um, but then I'm going to the library to try to figure out how to make a better me out of me. Right. So I actually had those feelings going from, from point A to point B because I was so lost. My wife and I were not aligned financially, which I think is still the number one reason people get divorced. Um, so that was a huge shift for us. And when you start that gratitude journal, it's free. It's paper. It's pencil. It's just looking at your desk differently or looking at your car, even if it runs, even if it's a piece of crap. Um, I still drive a piece of crap car. I can go buy another car if I want, but I'm not ready for that option yet. Right. And then people are like, why are you driving that busted ass 2004 Chevy trailblazer? You know why? Because today I could give a rip what you think about me at the stoplight or the go light. I really could. Where before I had a black Mustang 40th anniversary edition um, 5.0, which actually a 2.6 that my wife and I had to have because we were trying to impress everybody that we didn't care about. And I remember a day that, that I had my, my dad came over. I had that Mustang in the driveway. I had a minivan in the driveway cause we had two kids and we, neither of us wanted a minivan, but we were sick of sliding the kids in and out. And I've got this black Mustang and it's 2007. My dad slaps me on the back. He goes, man, it looks like you're doing pretty well, son. And I'm thinking I've never been more stressed out in my life. I've never had the least amount of money in my bank. I was running out of money every month, every check, putting stuff on credit cards, 
and then you know trading that credit card for another credit a credit card where you do like that zero percent swap around. Um, I thought I had those idiots fooled, right? But they're still making money off me every time I swipe it, and then every time I don't, um, every time I move it to another credit card. I never paid any interest, but I had to pay those transfer fees, and I thought I was being smart. But what I was doing was I was just pushing off all my problems. And then to have my dad come over and slap me on the back and say, you're doing really well, son. I'm thinking my wife's unhappy. I'm working out like a banshee. I'm, I'm literally, I would take my paychecks to the bank and I would take some of the money. So my wife couldn't see it. So I could buy more supplements so that she wouldn't find out about. So I could get stronger and bigger. Cause that's what I thought was going to solve my problems. Cause I was this gruff fireman guy. Right. But let alone, I didn't get to spend any time at home because I was working uh, hourly job. And I was a firefighter. I would leave the fire station at eight o'clock. I would go to my next job. I would work, which is a lot of firefighters do, right? And other people have multiple jobs, but I thought that was the answer was just to work more per hour until, uh, I learned how to up my value, but I had to get smarter in order to do that. Right. So you can't just go into the boss's office and say, I need 50 cents more per hour because it's not going to change your life, but you have to go learn a new skill, which is I saw a problem. People are coming in and buying things and returning them. I was like, well, why don't I just rent them to them? And then I started a business. I was renting audio equipment and video equipment and projectors to people that wanted them. And then they give it back. So I don't have to keep selling it over and over and over. I could just rent it. And anybody across the country can start my business that I started with probably $46. You just find something that somebody wants to rent and then they give it back. And then you clean it and you test it and you give it to the next person. And you repeat that process and you still have the same inventory, which I think is a beautiful thing. So I'm doing that with houses. You buy a house, you rent it, you clean it, and you give it to the next tenant, right? And you can repair it along the way. But that's fine. Um, but that's – man, I'm all over the place. That's my usual. It's that's all, how I do it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's all good. With the big turning point, though, so I, I'm just curious because you, you talk about this point where you're kind of at a, a mental low at least where you, you have the car, but wife's unhappy, the – you're, you're working like crazy. Your, your bank accounts low and all these things are going on. What was the, was the switch you talked about? Was it what you talked about earlier with the getting on the same page financially, or is it starting the business? What was kind of the, I guess, turning point, tipping point, if you will, in terms of what, what, what was different between that image that I'm picturing right now with your dad patting you on the back to getting over that? Uh, a friend of mine named Gibson at the fire station, dropped a seat on me and a friend of mine about uh, financials and how a different way to handle it. Okay. And I received it. And this is how broke I was. I wasn't willing to spend the money on the class. So, but I was smart enough to gamify it. Oh, I can go to the library and I can get that guy's book, Dave Ramsey's book for free. And then I can go on YouTube and I can find a way to find the classes because my wife was not, I mean, th this is how we were today. She doesn't care. But at that time I couldn't say, honey, I need $15 for this book. That's going to change our financial life. There just wasn't $15, even though I'm living in a really nice house with two. Well, one of the cars was brand new. The other one was used, but the point is you have all these extraneous things, but internally uh, it's a freaking mess. So I had to gamify figuring out finances and I literally, I rented the book from the library. I stole the videos from YouTube. They're out there, Dave. Sorry. Um, and I never actually took the real class, but I learned the principles. And I printed some out and I found some other stuff. And then I got my wife on board because we'd always start a budget and fail. 
start a budget and fail, start a budget and fail. And then I found this system that works that I explained it well enough for her that we could use it. We've still never taken the, the real course, but I have proudly paid for other people's because it was taught to me that I need to share this information. And that big switch you want to talk about, Dave, I'll talk about that. I love that story. Once I found out that nobody, I was, I was, uh, probably 30, 33, 34. I was wicked pissed at every adult I knew because they didn't show me that what I do with my finances matter. Okay. So you go to high school to do what? To work for somebody else. Well, when you're working, you make money, right? But nobody teaches you what to do with the money or how to use the money or how to invest the money. It's just make the money, buy what you want. And then you get 14 credit card things in the mail. And all day long, as you're driving around on the radio, you're hearing, go to this car dealership, buy this, buy this, buy this, the marketing attacks. And I was just a victim of the marketing. And now I'm on the other side of it. Now I'm marketing, right? Which hopefully that's makes full sense, but it's circle. Um, they're solving a problem that I had, which was I wanted to feel good. So I buy the thing makes me feel good for 15 minutes, but then I got to work for two weeks to pay it off the money I don't have. So that's the circle I was in. Um, and it was constant, but I was so mad at, at, at so many people indirectly because I hadn't got this figured out that when I started learning, I, mean, I was in a rage. I remember being in a rage for about three days because there was such a better way to handle it. And the only reason I was in a rage is because prior to that, I was in such a low point with working really hard, putting on a show, trying to have big muscles and a big fast car and do all these things to look cool. But internally, um, I was far from cool. And the relationship that my wife and I have now is fantastic. The things I can do now for others is fantastic. But I mean, it's a process. And if anybody, I, I hate when other people say, if anybody can do it, you can do it. But man, let me tell you, I failed four classes in middle school, middle school, because I didn't want to go. I didn't want to sit there. There was nothing there for me. I would, those final test days, I remember drawing like little airplanes and stuff in those little bubbles just because I didn't want to sit in the class, which made me ineligible for my favorite thing, which was football uh, when I was a freshman in high school. And then I would lie. I lied to everybody about why I wasn't playing because I wouldn't admit the fact that um, I didn't care enough about academics. So what got me through high school was the sports. And then I think it was the middle of my senior year. My parents were like, we're done. We're finished with you. We've tried and tried. And I'd fought and fought and fought and fought with them about every assignment, about all of it. My mom was just like, you're on your own. You're going to go one way or the other. You're either going to soar or you're going to sink, but either way, you're not taking me with you. Right. So I, I had an epiphany and a lot of crying and a lot of more anger, right? But it was that smack in the face that my parents gave me that I so needed and deserved. And then I actually did better in school. So it was going to be one or the other, right? I mean, I, maybe, maybe they saw me as not being able to go any lower. So I can't remember that that well, but you'd have to ask my mom, but I'm sure she'd tell you. <laughs> But I would thank her today, and I have thanked her before about that moment when they cut me off because they just figured I would figure it out or I'm not going to figure it out. So fast forward to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, of course, like most people, and nobody was willing to support me. My parents were not going to pay a dollar for, for junior college or college, and all my friends 
we're going off to four-year colleges and, and two-year colleges. And I thought, wow, maybe that's what I need to do. But I hate school because the problem was I hated all the subjects until I found firefighting and the medical side of things. And that was a paper I wrote in high school. I won't bore you with that story. But I mean, I wrote a paper in high school and that's why I'm a firefighter. And then I went home and said, hey, um, what's our family do? Found out I've got a great, great grandpa that worked for the LA fire department on the county side. And I've got his retirement badge and his helmet and stuff like that now. But I didn't know any of that firefighting um, lineage when I was growing up at all. I just saw some helmets and didn't think anything of it because I didn't care. But the point is, um, I was a bad bet. That's why I'm saying anybody can do it. And I absolutely would agree with them that I was a bad bet. But what my parents cutting me off, what it made me do was, and I bought my first car, right? Um, I had to focus on me and I had to fix me instead of saying that all of my problems were because of everybody else. So I can say that now that I learned that back then, but back then I had no clue. But what I want to tell you is I went to JUCO and I had to work three jobs and I lived at home for a year and a half after high school and I paid for all of it. My grandpa, I remember, paid for one set of books. That was the only person that believed in me at all. And I mean the only person that believed in me at all to get through that. But once I found the firefighting thing, once I figured out what I wanted to do, you got to get out of the way. And then I had to learn how to gamify that. I had to beat people out. The first fire department job I went for, there was over 100 people that applied. So imagine, Dave, if you've ever applied for a job, would you like to go up against over 100 other people for maybe one position? So a lot of firefighters and medics, they go through all this schooling and then they get to this barrier, right? That's the fear barrier of a hundred, you got, I mean, I got to beat a hundred people just so I can work here and get dirty and pick up old people and smell poop and pee all the time. Like that doesn't even make sense, but that was the reality of it at the time. These days there's far less people trying to go into firefighting and I don't know why, but, um, but that's the story. Yeah. That's a, uh, it, it's, it's cool how that all comes full circle though. And I know like with the, the troubles of middle school and your parents sticking with you though, and, and laying that down and, and ended up for whatever reason, getting into getting into firefighting and finding that, that passion and, and how the evolution has happened since starting working in here and how, how far you've come and all that. And I've, I've seen more just knowing you for not too long at the, the end product of that, but it's, it's cool to hear more of your story of all the stuff that led up to that. And I guess, as we kind of start to wrap things up here, what would you, what would you say to someone who is in that position you were in where they're maybe externally, it looks like things are going good. Maybe they're fit. Maybe they're, uh, appearing, they have a nice car or, you know, they're putting on this external appearance of, of all as well, but internally they're like, man, I'm just, I'm not happy right now. Things are a mess. My life feels like it's a mess. What would you say to someone as what's the, what's the next step? What's, or the first step someone can take if they're in that situation that, that you found yourself in? I would say now with the knowledge that I have, and the number one thing you've got to do is, is take care of your own house. Instead of trying to prove to everyone else that you're this thing or that thing, or you fit in this niche or that niche, you've got to prove to you that you're worth it. You've got to look and be able to, and a lot of people can't do this, look in the mirror and like the person that they see. If you look in the mirror today or tomorrow and you don't like that person, I'm just, I'm saying like, not even love. Cause I love a lot of stuff that I don't like, but I can honestly look in the mirror today and say, I like that guy where that was definitely not the case in high school because everybody said I was an idiot and they were right. 
And I enjoyed being the dumbest person in class because all I wanted to do was interrupt the class so I could get attention. So to offer up some advice, hopefully I qualify for this. And I think I do because of the struggles that I've had and, and how I've overcome those things. But those struggles were my struggles. They weren't anybody else's. The teacher just wants to show up and they want to teach you stuff. Well, then why are you there? And I struggle with telling this to my son, like every one of those teachers would stay after school for you if you were burning to learn, right? And I was not burning to learn. I was burning to get the hell out of there, put a ball in front of me. Um, and I wasn't that great of an athlete, but that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be smashing into people and knocking them over. And you can do that in business too. You can smash into things, you can kill problems and you'll get fat paychecks. The highest paid people in the world are salesmen. That's it. Get good at something. And, th and that's what I had to do. I had to reinvent um, who I was looking at to solve my problems. And once I, f I realized that the teachers are out there, the books are out there for free. You can go to the library. There's a thousand podcasts. But here's the thing, that, Dave, this is what you have to do if you want to make any progress in anything. You have to apply it. That's it. It's so freaking simple. Go get one book and read it 60 times and apply all of it. Hopefully it's a good book. And you're not bored reading it. But see, I mean, if you could just just take one person's viewpoint and go crush that. And that's what I did with Dave Ramsey. I took the Dave Ramsey system and we worked it, right? And then I started reading Robert Kiyosaki. He's Mr. I love debt, good debt, not bad debt. And I said, now I'm going to take Robert Kiyosaki's lessons and I'm going to smash his lessons, right? And then once I somewhat master that, I'm going to move on to the next, the next guy and I'm going to level up with a mentor, so the number one thing is if it's a church or it's a friend, find somebody that's a couple steps above you and see if they'll talk to you because everybody likes to share, but it's hard to ask, you know, will you help me is really, you know, I want help at X. Another thing I want to say is because we do this a lot at the fire department and my daughter wouldn't do it. And I wish she, I still wish today that she would have uh, is do little mini internships. So when you go through firefighting school, before you get to take the test, they send you to the fire station. At least that's in Kansas City. I don't know if they do that in the rest of the country. If they don't, they flip and should. They come by. They, they spend the day with us. They're not allowed to spend the night. Uh, that makes sense because it's basically a sleepover in a frat house um, every shift. And you get to feel it. You get to smell it. You get to go on the calls. You get to do the things. If you want to be an accountant, Call an accountant's office. If they won't let you in, call another accountant. But you have to apply this. You have to go to the accountant's office and you have to smell it. You have to dress it and sit next to them and see what they actually do all day long and see if that's what you want to do. Don't spend four years learning accounting and that first two weeks you're like, well, this sucks. You know, what sucks is the fact that you didn't spend a couple of phone calls and a couple of hours in one of those offices. Now, you can go to a different office with a different company if you're interested in accounting. And I tried so hard. This is the one thing I couldn't get my daughter to do um, was to, and I set it up with people and then she wouldn't make the appointment. And so I can't force her to do it, right? I can just show her the door and she has to walk in, but I'm going to try this with my next daughter. I'm going to try it with my son. If you want to get into something, go do it. Well, junior, I, I mean, I don't know. Okay. Get out of your own freaking way and call the office. And when you tell them, Hey, I'm this many years old, would you help me would you let me sit with you for a couple of hours at your job? That's it. That's all I, I was, you could tell them. Hey, I'm thinking about going into this for four years, but I don't know if it's right. 
man, if you just made five phone calls, I bet you get at least two people to let you come sit with them. In your town, you can also network and level up, which is one of the things I like to do. You know somebody that knows somebody that is doing what you want to do for a living. And let's keep talking about accounting because I know nothing about it, right? And I'm terrible at it. Just ask. Just ask. And you can get so far. It's it's the craziest thing. When I go into grocery stores now, I'm not walking around looking for that crap all the time. Somebody walks by, I ask. When I see my daughter, she's she's 13. She struggles with just asking for help. Maybe she doesn't want to do it because I do it so often. But if I'm in your store and you work there, you want to help. You're there to help, right? You want something to do. And sometimes they're dejected about it because they want to get the stuff you know, stocked or whatever. Okay, this is my last thing I'm going to say. This is my, this is my next favorite story uh, that my wife and I do um, pretty consistently. When we go out to dinner at a restaurant, I ask the waitress to order for me. What, what, do, you, what do you like? Watch their demeanor completely flip. I'm going to say, you work here. I don't know what's good here. What do you like? Bring me that. Some of them will dive on it and they love it. Others will ask you five more questions because they want to get an idea, try to steer you that way. And which you'll see their personality immediately. They will immediately go from an order taker to an experience maker because they're going to create how this meal happens. Because if I order a peanut butter and jelly and I don't like it, who cares? You ordered it, man. Your problem. But if I sit down at the table and I say, not what's good here, say, what do you think I should have? And they'll look at you kind of funny and you go, yeah, just bring me what, just bring me what you need. You know, and I don't understand the, the, the restaurant business, but you might get whatever's old back in the back. Cause they're trying to push stuff, you know, through the, through the weekend or whatever. But either way, um, what I'm trying to say is you'll get a mindset shift out of your server. Um, cause we're all servants to each other. Um, and if we're not, then we're just the grouchiest guy in the room. But that is something I do love doing with my wife. I've had some great meals that way. Um, we did that at a restaurant here in Kansas City. And the guy said, well, do you guys like dessert? I'm like, yeah, we like dessert. Everybody likes dessert. We had dessert first. And then they brought out the meal. And then they brought out something else. And this guy was awesome. And we gave him a huge tip. But my wife and I still think back to that that day when we got this marshmallow flambe thing first before the meal. I thought, this guy, is, this guy gets it. That's and cool. Just tip. I love how you say an experience maker instead of just taking the orders and you know being being responsive. That takes some ownership on that. And I love ownership. Kept coming back when you're talking about too of just seeking out help, seeking out mentorship, being a, being okay, being able to ask and say like, hey, I I don't know what I'm doing here. I I want what you're doing, but I don't know if I want to do that or I don't know how to do that. And just being okay, just being being vulnerable, being open about it because. We tend to put up this front, especially as guys of having all the answers. Like we, we have it all figured out. We can't, we can't ask for help, but it's okay to see someone who's doing what you want to be doing or who even in the gym, like looks how you want to like go up to them and be like, Hey man, like, can I learn from you? Can I work out with you? Can I, can you at least <laughs> tell me something? Like some people will probably, probably shrug you off, but most people are generally willing to, willing to help when you're willing to ask. Yeah. Your approach is so important, right? Especially in the gym. Um, That'd be a tough one versus because he's trying to do his thing and you're trying to do yours. But if you genuinely and if you come off in a genuine fashion, um, I think the world is out there for people like that versus trying to take from them versus to grow with them or receive. Say, can I work out with you versus 
you know, go write me a workout plan and I'll be out, I'll be out in the parking lot. There's, there's a big difference there. And for me, those have been huge shifts in the way I talk to strangers or talk to people that, that want to help me. Now I'm not on point all day long. I mean, I'll, nobody's perfect and I'm definitely not perfect. And there's times when I'll go to the grocery store and just walk around aimlessly and then I'll get frustrated with myself. Right. Well, why didn't mm-hmm. I just ask somebody? Right. So there's no perfect people. There's no perfect plans, but man, as long as you try, and I've heard a, a friend of ours say, light yourself on fire and people will come notice. And what I think that what that means is light yourself on fire about a thing or a subject or to help somebody, because if you're that burning desire, which is the fire in my head, um, I think good things will happen. And I try to teach my children uh, to, to always treat people like they want to be treated. And it goes back to those first grade stories. I mean, in first grade, you truly learn, you know, everything you want to, you want to know in life. And then it just gets more complicated from there. Right. Mm -hmm. Man, Junior, this has been, it's been so great. I got a, uh, I, I learned a lot from it. It's it's been uh, so fun talking to you in here, and I mean a lot of a lot of nuggets of gold within that, and how you've been able to instill that in your kids too is is really cool to see. And I got uh, two questions as we finish up here. Uh, the first one being, you know, we've already talked about as guys, we put up this we put up this front, we put up this uh, you know facade that that all is well, and you know it's evident from your story of how much you've learned and how much you've grown in just some really awesome ways over over your life, over your career. But I also think we're always, we're always learning and we're always growing. What's something, if you don't mind being vulnerable, what's something in the moment, what's something now, a challenge you're still facing or something that's challenging you, growing you uh, in, some, in some way that uh, you haven't gotten all the way over yet? Great question, Dave. Uh, super recent. Uh, my wife and I, I'll call it a, a 10-year fight. Like We had been great for forever. And she told me, uh, the hard part is learning to argue with your spouse. So I've read, you know, different things on this and there's, there's certain ways to do it and there's certain ways to not do it. But if you have an intentional plan on how to argue, which that sounds really silly, right? We, so I learned this from, from Steve Weatherford. Uh, he's got a great podcast. Tune in. If you go to a certain place in your house or your apartment or even your car, this is where we go to, to discuss things. If you go there to argue, you're going to argue. This is where we go to discuss things. But more importantly for me and my wife recently is this is where we go to get in alignment. I'm going this direction. You're going that direction. We're nowhere near each other. Once you start, once you stop pouring into a relationship, it's gone. Okay. So let's relate this to your vehicle. Once you stop doing maintenance, there's a problem, right? I don't need to make another analogy because that's it. Once you stop picking up your laundry, it's a problem. Pick up your freaking laundry. Um, I could I could maybe make, I don't know, a thousand more of those analogies, right? So my wife and I got in this massive argument, I'll call it, because it was a 10-year argument. And I don't know how I pulled it off, but I got her in the car. We were going to go grocery shopping. She didn't really even want to look at me at the moment. Um, and I couldn't figure out why, which is why I was so frustrated. Like, I'm doing everything I can do. I'm providing. I'm paying for, co- I'm paying for co- you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And I think I'm providing, but I'm not providing. And what she told me finally was, she said, I need your support. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've got two businesses. I've got a career. I'm, I'm doing this with the kids. I'm doing this with your oldest daughter. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing. I thought that was support. I thought I was supporting the family. 
But what I learned from her, and she didn't say this, was that she needs my direct support. And I went, you know what? That's all you had to say. I am now your number one supporter. What can I do to support you? And let me give you a quick story. I used to, before the gratitude and before all the things, I would say, like the Keurig machine is kind of expensive, right? That's a ridiculous amount of money to spend on a, on a coffee in the morning, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper than Starbucks. So when my wife and I first started this budgeting thing, she was spending money on Starbucks and she was running us low because she didn't carry us, just swipe the card, right? And I'm thinking, okay, let's do the Keurig because it's less expensive. And then I just started despising the Keurig machine because I'm looking at the budget thinking, well, she's having two every day. That's three and a half dollars. Like, are you kidding me? I'm drinking water. You know, three and a half dollars a day adds up pretty fast, just like those energy drinks used to, but I don't drink them anymore. Um, the point of the story is I was resenting the Keurig machines because it was pulling the money from me, but I had to switch my mindset to where now when I get up in the morning, I make the coffee for her and I serve it to her. And that happened years ago, years ago, but I wanted to be of service to my wife directly. And I still make the coffee for her, but she had to, we had to go in the car and go on a ride and literally pull off the road on the way to the grocery store and pull in a parking lot and say, look, we need to talk. You have to have that difficult conversation. And, and I hope I answered your question. So to get in alignment with my wife, to support my wife, for her just to tell me, I need your support. That's all I needed to hear. And, but from a man's perspective, you know what, you some bitch, you do need to support your wife. You need to stop being about you and about your muscles and your abs and your supplements, which I'm all about, I'm all about those things. I just, you know, they hide underneath the fat sometimes uh, on the abs. Anyway. That's great. Great wisdom there. And the uh, last one, it's our last hypothetical scenario for you. Ask, ask all the guests this question. Uh, so this is another wisdom related question from you. Uh, so you're leaving, you're leaving a coffee shop in town. You're leaving the grocery store. You run into younger junior of 10 years back. So younger juniors looking for some life advice, looking for some wisdom. You only have 60 seconds to talk with them. You're on your way to, to work. You're on your way to event with your family. You can't stay in chat long. So you have 60 seconds to talk to younger junior of 10 years prior. What advice are you giving to him? And what are you saying to him? Uh, the number one thing is to love yourself and to give yourself grace. And I would tell them that I have a contract now with myself and it is love, listen, and grace. And I learned this through a mentor of mine. And I would be telling this to myself that you need to love everybody. I know that sounds stupid, but if you can't love them directly, love them in generality, because there's no reason you can't, even though you think you can't love everybody. Cause I really struggled with this when he told me, Hey, just love them. Just, just love them. It's really easy. And then the number two thing is for me to listen because I was always waiting for my turn to talk kind of like now you can tell I talk a lot, but now when people speak and I'm still working on this, I listen instead of constantly trying to cut them off with what I know. Well, I know for sure today that I don't know everything and you know, the two years, one mouth rule and you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, and grace, grace has been big in my life. Um, again, recently, um, because I made so many changes lately and that's to let people make mistakes, let them learn from their mistakes. I give my children a lot of grace. I try to set them up. Now, this is going to sound stupid. I'm going to try to set them up for failure, but that's not actually accurate. What I'm going to do is I'm going to allow them to fail 
and I'm not going to knock all the problems out of their way so that later on life, those small things don't become huge things. And I think my parents did that for me back in high school. They gave me the grace. They're like, look, you're on your own. And that's the grace I needed. And that was the love I needed. That was the tough love I needed. And I really wish I would have learned. If I could smack myself in the face back in the day, I would say, learn Dave Ramsey's lessons. Apply Robert Kiyosaki's lessons when you're done with Dave Ramsey. And shut your flipping mouth and listen to what people have to say. Boom. I love it. Love, listen, grace. And those other lessons are are really great too. So junior, man, I've appreciated every bit of this. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to jump on here. Uh, for those that are interested in, if people want to reach out to you, if they want to contact you, is there any place people can uh, reach out if they, if they have any questions or uh, need any wisdom or support in, in what you've been describing here already on the show? Sure. I'll make myself available. My email is rental at jhanson.net. R-E-N-T-A-L at jhanson.net. And I'm on Facebook. I'm not really uh, super active on that. I usually try to just monetize Facebook and, and talk to some friends here and there. I'm on Instagram lightly. But man, I sure needed some help uh, coming up. And I'm sure some others do. But the podcasts are out there. The books are out there. Start with that gratitude journal. I appreciate your time. I am I'm supposed to release uh, my podcast today. But we're having some tech issues. Um, and I, I don't know what to do, but I'll figure it out. So what's the plug on your podcast? It's called YOE years of experience, and it should be released. Ah, man, it was supposed to be literally today, which is funny that we're on, but, um, I just need to get more practice at this. Send me, send me a link when it's done. We'll get it up in the show notes for everyone listening so that they can, they can have all that linked up. So it'll, by the time this launches your podcast will be up and live. I, I'm, uh, I'm confident in that. Speak it out, Dave. I love yep. it. Junior, man, it's been great. Appreciate you taking the time, man, and uh, looking forward to catching up soon. All my best to you and your family, sir. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Men Made for More podcast. I hope you found today's show valuable and that you have some actionable strategies you can apply to your life today. If this is your first time listening, thanks for being here. The aim of this podcast is to provide a ton of the best possible content to help you grow in your journey to becoming the best version of yourself. If you enjoyed the podcast and found it helpful, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. These subscriptions and reviews help other like-minded men discover the podcast and take the next step in strengthening their body, their mind, and their purpose. If you're a regular listener, I can't thank you enough for investing in yourself in this show. Please make sure to share this with a friend or post on social media and tag me with your favorite part from today's show. If you haven't already, make sure to join the Men Made for More Facebook group be a part of a community of like-minded men that are elevating their game and living for more by searching men made for more on Facebook. Keep challenging yourself growing and know that it's okay to get out of your comfort zone and know that you're made for more. Thanks for listening and see you guys soon.